0: We are back on the bench, um, sitting here with two fine gentlemen and Chris Knee, Brendan Sinone. I am Josh Newberg. We are from Knowles 24-7. How you guys doing? Um,
1: Hi. Great intro, Josh. I like it. A lot of energy.
2: Trying so to bring, bring it. Trying to bring it. Chris, room, how's your energy room,
1: today? Room. Hello, hello, hello.
2: It's Monday. I don't have time for your shit.
0: All right, then let's just get straight to it, Chris. Uh, 45-14 blowout win for Clemson. They had their second and third stringers in there for much of the fourth quarter. I got a question for you. Did you get your moral victory or not?
2: <laughs> nope,
0: no moral victories leaving Death Valley. Yeah, uh, I didn't think so. There, that didn't seem like it. Uh, the bigger question, though, for Brandon, does this blowout linger? I think that's, you know, we all kind of expected a loss. We didn't know how it would look. This was probably worst case. Does it linger?
1: That's the million dollar question, right? Like That's what everyone's asking the players after the game. That's what everyone's asking Willie Taggart. Now that's one of the talking points for this week ahead because you're going up to Wake Forest and good news is Wake Forest looks beatable. In fact, they, they lost, right? So. So you know that that game has a bit of a different feel to it, and I think, like you said, Josh, expectation was to lose. Does it linger? I don't know. I'd I'd curious to see how Willie Taggart you know built up this game to his team. They clearly came out there with the game plan to to try to compete and to try to try to at least keep it close. So it wasn't like they prepared just totally for for Wake Forest. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how you kind of come back from this. I do think this team is more mentally resilient than it was. A year ago, I, I think that, that bodes well for FSU, but I don't have a clear answer. Like We're going to see if this, this lingers or not.
0: Yeah, we'll put it all into context, I guess, after the Wake Forest game. It's it's hard to say. It's kind of like this is this is entering the second season for FSU. Um, half, half of it, this is a very important stretch run. Um, Chris, a question to you. Do you feel like at this point, Florida State has improved
2: upon where they started the season? You know, now that we're mid midway point, yeah. I mean, they were dreadful in that second game of the season. They weren't very good in the first one. They played better ball beyond that point. Saturday, some of those glaring issues came back into play. Tackling wasn't very good. O line couldn't block anybody if their life depended on it. And I thought the quarterback play on today was the worst we've seen this season from FSU. So it's kind of a mixed bag answer. But yeah, from where they were at point A of the season and where they are now, they're they're a better team. The, the next big thing is you know lingering. Can they bounce back, play well, don't let one game impact the next game? And do they correct some of the issues that are correctable, namely tackling and you know blocking it up to some degree to the level they are capable of doing? We know that the O-line blocking is not going to be good at any point this year. That's kind of an accepted medium, but they need to be better. Brendan, talking about moving forward to the second half of the season. What
0: type of injuries were sustained in the last game? I know Keyshawn Helton is a big one, likely out for the season, so we're not going to see him against Wake Forest. But were there any other lingering issues or injuries, I should say, that we should Hel- watch for this week?
1: Helton's the big one, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, and Willie Taggart said he's probably out for the season. If you go ahead and watch that replay, uh, there's no doubt in your mind that he's out for the season. That really sucks. Keyshawn is the guy who did everything the right way. Uh, kind of the heartbeat of, of the team in, in a certain sense, uh, even when he's yeah. like, getting – off the field. He's you know, yelling at the team not to quit. Like he's someone who just does it the right way and was really lowly recruited. And uh, anyways, that, that hurts. And also he's a good player. Uh, other injuries. We did see Jarvis Brownlee needing help off the field. He's someone who, you know, true freshman who contributes on special teams. Other than that, there weren't any injuries that emerged that we saw. Sorry, Fagan. Oh, Fagan with the walking boot. Fagan ended up in walking
2: boot during the game. Kyle Myers was there, did no, not dress out. to play. Levante and
1: Taylor was there, was dressed out, but not. Yeah, I was going to ask yeah, you we, guys. We have to, to get clarity on Levante today. It seemed like he was available to go and just didn't. Uh, I, would, I don't want to speculate. It doesn't seem like it was an injury.
2: Right.
0: That's okay. it. And you'll talk to Willie Taggart. We're taping this at 9.30 in the morning on Monday. You guys will talk to Taggart here in a little bit. So we'll have some clarity on the website later on in the day on some of those injuries and stuff. Last year at this time, Chris, we were talking a lot about the quit. You know, Florida State quit after the Clemson game. That was kind of the, the Willie, buzz. Willie after. was talking a lot about it, too. Yeah, okay. and, and, and this year, another blowout loss. How do you guys feel about
2: the competitiveness and whether or not FSU quit during this game. Well, I think those are two different things. I don't think they quit just be plain and simple on that. They did not quit. Mm-hmm. They played. There was effort for four quarters. They weren't competitive though. And I think that was more, they just didn't play well than they didn't try to play. Clemson came out, did whatever the hell they wanted to do on both sides of the ball in the first half, could have named their own score if they kept going at that pace, and FSU just had nothing to counter. FSU could muster no pass rush of any type. Mm-hmm. Credit to J. Rob comes in the second half after being suspended, plays really, really hard, recorded all four negative plays recorded by FSU's defense in the game in the second half. So it's good to see a guy enter the game when it's kind of already over and make that effort. So that to me is an example of effort versus quit. Um, offensively, FSU was just dreadful. They couldn't get the running game going. They had eight three and outs. They had 60-some-odd yards of offense in the first half. They couldn't run the ball at any point in the game. Blackman looked terrible. Horny Brook didn't look much better outside of one completion of 63 yards. He averaged two yards per attempt after that one mm-hmm. completion, which I know is nitpicking because you're taking away one that gained 63, but he had 22 yards on 11 other attempts. That's and it was a bad pa- And
1: that was a bad pass, the one that he threw. It was not so a good
2: pass to Terry. I. I they weren't competitive, but I don't think it was for lack of trying. They just simply weren't. They didn't play well. Clemson did play well. They got out of class. And they got, and they got their teeth kicked in. They them. got out of yeah. class. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't – and I did feel last year that there was some quit in the team. Oh, Definitely. there was of awful lot of quit in the team last year against Clemson. I mean, they rolled over and played dead in the second half. And if Clemson wanted to go vertical, you'd be lucky if a guy even was willing to run with the guy down the field. That wasn't the case on this Saturday.
1: Didn't Dallas yeah. score a touchdown last year? I don't know. I'm I'm blacked out.
2: Thank God. (laughs) Unfortunately,
0: it just kind of, it it set the reality set in about the talent gap because I I agree with you, Chris. I think those, the the Florida state team was fighting, but at the end of the day, they were just along for the ride. Like you said, Clemson's offense, if they wanted to keep the starters in, they could have scored as many points as would be allowed within that time frame. They weren't going to stop scoring. Um, but I don't think FSU quit. I think they did try to compete. Um, outclassed, outmatched. I mean, the talent gap, Brendan, we've been talking about this for a while. These kind of are measuring stick games where you, you know, like it or not, you're going to get the reality of where you stand against the best team in the ACC. And how do you even begin to fix this, Brendan? The gap is wide,
1: right? That's the big takeaway. And I tried to enter the game, Josh, to like not focus on, you weren't weighing yourself against Clemson as much as you were from last year, I guess. and and the fact that I don't think you were any more competitive, like Chris said mm-hmm. to me was 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 a frustrating aspect not that any of us went in there with the belief that FSU was going to beat Clemson, but you thought it'd be competitive for like a half or something like that, and it, and it wasn't. it was it wasn't competitive for for more than like a couple minutes. So uh, and what that really shows, I guess, if you do want to weigh FSU versus Clemson is, Uh, The team came out, tried hard, and still got doors blown off. I I think that shows you just how far away Florida, Florida State is from Clemson right now. Um, Yes, Josh, you do need to take a break after I'm done rambling. Um, Well, I'll hop in real quick
2: too when you're done.
1: Okay, uh, we'll get Chris because yeah, he's our recruiting guy, but. Man, it's just the deficiencies on the offensive line, uh, the deficiencies Mm -hmm. with the defensive line, specifically with pass rushers, uh, are glaring right now. And and Clemson's just superior to you in the trenches in every way right now. And then the quarterback differential is, is huge, too. And I think the part that's concerning to me, guys, is, you know, it's one thing for that to be, you know, to have this gap a couple years in a row, but like where's the relief coming from? Everyone's talking about Jeff Sims. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. That's something we may talk about later, but but that talent gap is 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 massive right now. And I don't think Florida State's done a very good job to date of addressing those needs and giving you clear, concise like here's your here's your path to where it's going to be. It's not a two year plan right now. It seems like it's more like four or five years and it's tough to envision that really coming to fruition right now that you're gonna catch Clemson anytime soon.
2: And with that game being over by halftime and it clear that FSU did not enter the game capable of being competitive in a better manner than they were a year ago. I found myself thinking about it, and it was I don't I'm I'm way beyond thinking FSU and Clemson should be compared. Clemson's competing for national titles. FSU's trying to get bowl eligible. There there's a whole hell of a lot of space in between those two, and FSU's nowhere near where Clemson is right now, and Clemson's nowhere near where FSU is. And everyone is. knows that the reason the comparison happens is that FSU was there five six years ago, and Clemson has ascended since that point to where FSU once was. That's why the comparison of the two teams seems to happen. But the thing I found myself thinking about was more macro. And it wasn't about the issues right now. It was about what is FSU doing to resolve these issues in the next six games, in the next six months, in the next year, into the next season? And how does it impact the Willie Taggart era and his ability to sustain himself as a head coach with the current staff he has? And the answer that came to me every time I thought about it on Saturday was that the quarterback room is not very good, and the plan wasn't very good to fix it in this past offseason. It was a plan. And it's not really in a direction currently where it's going to be in a much better place entering next year, barring some unexpected, unforeseen development. The O-line is crap. It's horrible. And there's very little bright short-term positives. I would say Dante Lucas is a short-term positive. But there's not many others to point to. And uh, I'm sorry, long-term positives. And then on a the short term, you short bring term. a guy like Ryan Robertson, he's good, he's been serviceable, he's been better than what you had, but he's not very good. And it he doesn't gone. really help the line. And you needed season. more you needed more than just Ryan Roberts short term. So if you're gonna go do the band-aid again this offseason, which you need to do, and you need to get guys you develop long term, which you need to do, they need to do a better job than they've ever done in their time at FSU of doing that. In the edge rushing situation, they've created their own monster here. Brian Burns was eventually going to leave FSU. They really need to go get another guy. They recruited a guy out in California who's now playing for Oregon, but there was no plan B, and when you don't have a plan B, it turns into what it now is. J-Rob was the only guy who could muster a pass rush off the edge for FSU. Adonis Thomas is a professional run-into-the-guy cross-from-me guy. guy. He doesn't do anything. Josh Brown, effort (laughs) is there. He's decent. He's good. Amari Gaynor. I like Amari. I think Amari will be good, but he's not the answer to the pass rush situation long term. They have to fix that, whether it's a juco, whether it's a transfer, whether it's a high school. Truthfully, it should be multiple of those that we just mentioned. The issue for FSU is what they need to do to become a better football program, one that's not always hanging on by a string of bowl eligibility like they have been now for three consecutive seasons is go become a better football team. Develop more talent. Recruit more talent. Over-recruit positions where you're not good. Have a damn plan and execute it. That's where I was leaving that stadium. I don't think FSU is doing a good job of doing that, and they need to do that in the short and the long term.
1: I thought my answer was good, but Chris just blew me out of the water. you drop your mic? Drop the mic. I'm
2: not dropping the mic, but it's it's true. FSU needs (laughs) to get better short term and long term. Yes, absolutely. You can't keep – Band aiding because essentially, some band aids work and some get ripped off, and you're so bloody underneath.
1: The, the issue with and the band is they didn't do that this past, right? Either. They need to do
2: a better job of that, but you can't just <laughs> the, keep doing that. It doesn't is, work long. The wound is
1: gaping right now, yeah. like, there's not a there's this. Not, this not staff is
2: setting themselves up to fail at this point. It's, some of this is on them where they are setting themselves up to fail long term, where right. they cannot sustain having a job here because they're not developing a program to where it needs to eventually be. Culture is getting better. Their kids are doing things off the field they need to do. There's plenty to praise. I'm not saying they've done nothing good. What I'm saying is what you need to do to win games and to have sustainability and to be good year over year and moving forward. They're falling short at, and they need to get better. And I think Saturday took that and put it on a big screen yeah. of another team just punching your teeth in over and over and over and over again.
1: With you trying hard too. Yeah, yeah. we all want this staff. I think to do well. We generally like working with this group of coaches. But it,
2: it's now or never. They're reaching the point of now or never. What I need to get better. There's positions where the skill needs to be updated. They need to have something that they can lean on in 2020, and they need something they can you lean on in 2022, now, 2023.
1: Right? Like you, You've left yourself where you have to finish fairly strong this season to be able to get the guys that and, you want to do and, and sell improvement. Like, these next few weeks are going to be big.
2: When kids jump in the portal here because either they, they are graduating or they're going to have redshirt status and they can transfer, you need to be ready to go. You have a guy currently on your staff who is not coaching on the field. He needs to be ready to go. David Kelly needs to be ready to go. And attack dog anybody who can help you in those positions, such as quarterback, O line, and D end, that can help you be better next year and can help you to be better down the road.
0: Couldn't have said it better. I think Chris hits on some major points, and and the thing that we're talking about those are those three positions that you just mentioned are the ones that championships are built around. And I've stressed. <laughs> over and over about the importance of signing a quarterback and what it does to this program and what it will do to the program once they can find one. And, you know, they've come up short at that and at that position for two years straight. So you got a guy in Jeff Sims who we're going to talk about after the break. Actually, there's a few things I want to talk about, especially this uh, potential. Well, we 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 previewed a potential controversy. I want to talk to you guys about
3: it after the break. Tease them, tease them, Josh. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: And we're back. Last week, Chris, we spent a lot of time, Chris and Brennan, we spent
3: a money. lot of
0: time talking about the QB the QB situation. Uh, Brennan, I'll throw it to you first. Oh, thank you. Willie Taggart implemented a two quarterback system for really the first time this season, really the first time in his tenure at Florida State. What, if any benefits did you see on the field Saturday from Uh, utilizing?
1: uh, I mean, they did a little bit of the two quarterback stuff against uh, against Louisville, and then James was hurt. Would have been interested to see how that second half played out. Uh, What it was against Louisville, correct? Yeah, he (laughs) went went in. and, and James. James was having probably the best game of, of his career in terms of the big boy throws he was making. It was just they, it didn't show in the stat line, but against
2: Louisville, against Louisville, yeah, against, <laughs> definitely not Saturday against
1: Clemson. Man, it, it's tough to say like what worked and what didn't because uh, I mean the two quarterbacks had both of their their worst games of their careers. Uh, certainly, at FSU, at, yeah. at FSU, I would have to go back and look at Hornbrook's stats. I can't imagine they were a whole lot worse too. Uh, P F F does the the individual player grades uh, each each week and. And Hornerbrook's passing grade was among like the bottom. I think there's only five worst nationally throughout the entire season. You're, you're talking about hundreds of examples. Uh, and, and James Blackman wasn't much better either. And both of them really struggled in, in different areas. But you know, Alex ends up missing uh, you know his interception. Could have been a touchdown if he hits Trayshawn Harrison's stride. Uh, and you can tell both of those guys and James Blackman just looked frazzled and, and sometimes overly emotional and, and frustrated. And both of those were problematic uh, to you – know, OK, here's what I'm going to say. Neither played well and neither played well because it seemed like they were just skittish behind a bad offensive line. It's impossible to judge what either of them are and whether this two quarterback system is moving forward based on, on that game alone, because neither one really had a chance. I don't know if you could have put anyone else behind there. if They would have had more of a chance. Clemson was consistently getting pressure without having a blitz when they did blitz. It was over. It was just a shit show, man. And, and I don't know if there's a whole lot really to take from the two QB system. I'm not a huge fan of it, but I also don't want to judge it completely off of that game. I don't know if that's entirely fair.
2: I'd walk away from the 2QB system completely. I would base it on practice and the game plan, who did the best that week leading up to the game, and who fits what you're trying to execute on Saturday. So you're splitting that's, up
1: still on, on in the game yeah, plan yes. of the
2: week? Yeah, it's because still, I don't think there's a vast – and I've said this before, way before Clemson. I don't think there's a vast difference between the no. ultimate result that could be given – Based no, there, on there's the a, There's position. a
1: floor ceiling difference, but even that is probably minimal. Right.
2: But if you're if you're going with a certain game plan against a certain opponent, and a guy has done a better job during the week in prep of showing that he fits that game plan. Start him, and if he struggles in the game, pull him. Short leash, both of them. Don't care. You can still rely on two quarterbacks. But don't feel like you have to force feed one reps when the other one give give the ability to rhythm for rhythm to be established mm-hmm. and give the ability for the O-line and quarterback to adjust within the game when it's happening in a real flow. And I just think you go with that and you have a short leash. And if you want to start one guy, you go with him. And if it doesn't work, you go to the other guy. And If it's not working, then, you know, who the hell knows? Maybe you go back to the other guy. But okay, like, okay, okay, I, I don't well. like the idea of force change like that. You have to fit both into a game plan that you're being forced I, to doing that.
0: I know what you guys think. And I know I know the strategies that you guys would implement. But next week on the road at Wake Forest, what do you think we see? How, do, how does fSU Kendall Bryles, willie Taggart manage the quarterback position
1: I, I think they're gonna go to the way chris is saying and and go with a true guy and not have these plan changes quite as uh, it's not going to be like a so the worst third Alex. Think I, I think i think you have, have that's what my assumption is going to be. Uh, I don't think anyone. I said this on last week's pod. I don't think anyone in the quarterback room, either the two guys starting, were thrilled with it. I don't think anyone in the quarterback room, coaching it, was thrilled with that idea. I think that was an idea that came from the top. It would seem like it was something that was settling. There was all the weird, weird rumors on a Friday night what they were going to end up going with Alex more. It just it it wasn't a it it wasn't a clear. Uh, plan of what was to be executed. Uh, the, the game plans for both the quarterbacks seemed very different from one another, uh, and that seemed to, to fluster the team. So, yeah, my assumption is, Josh, going forward, that, that you'll see one guy as the predominant player, uh, and maybe you have a little wrinkle or something like that for Alex or or James or however you decide to, to move it uh, in the future. But more or less, I think you're going to see someone taking 85 90% of the snaps at quarterback uh, ideally.
2: Okay, cool. Uh, only other thing I'll add to the quarterback thing is blackman has got to get his emotions under control. I don't. I like that the guy plays with a fire, and I like that he takes things personal. But he looked devastated at one point on Clemson sideline as though he wasn't going to be able to return to the game because he was so emotionally distraught. And that you, you can't have that. There's got to be some even killed nature to you it. Can't,
1: at you, the same time. You can't be a better leader from the bench than you are on the field. Yeah. That just that has to, James has to get better at that, and he's praised for being. Uh, someone who is a leader by by example last year all the time. And
2: coaches praise him, players yeah. praise him. People ask where that praise comes from. Yes, we repeat it, but it's coaches and players that say that, right. that the team likes him, they play for him, all those things. But the truth is that he has to do a better job of it. Alex is a more mature individual in the way he approaches the game, the way he handles the game, and it shows.
1: He seems more stoic, and, right. and James doesn't have that, and that's the good and the bad with James, but you that's, have to learn to channel it. And
2: that's one has up. almost 40 starts in his career, and the other one has you know, about 20, so yeah. that, that is the difference between the two. Yep. But James needs to be better about that. It's something Agreed. that's been an issue in past games, and on Saturday, it was out of control. Agreed. Chris, do you think there's any lingering effects on the relationship between Kendall Briles and Willie Taggart over this? No, I think Kendall Bryles is sort of—and I don't mean this in a rude way—but a mercenary. He's a very talented offensive coach who was hired to make an offense look very good again, and I, I think that's what Kendall's here to do, and that's how Kendall operates. I don't think Kendall's one of these guys that needs the uh, like the head nod of the head coach to make him feel good on the inside. He's out there to try to make the offense score as many points possible and he's worried about his guys 11 22 30 or so guys he's really going to deal with on that offense that's what he's focused on i don't i don't, I don't think that the kendall willie relationship is something that's really of much significance truthfully and i'm not saying it's good or it's bad i'm just saying i don't think it really matters in the whole grand scheme of things okay
0: fair enough just wanted to tie a bow on that since we discussed it earlier let's move on to wake forest Brendan FSU opens a uh, slight underdog. What was it? One and a half points? Is is that the line that opened yesterday? No, I don't know. I
1: unplugged yesterday as soon as I got home from the <laughs> It op-
2: it opened at one and a half. It had moved up to two and a half at last check. I'm not sure what it's at this morning. I haven't looked. They're beatable though. Uh, talk
0: about right. this Wake Forest game. Just
1: they just lost to Louisville and FSU beat Louisville. So, yeah, that's a – that's one. man, there's not a game remaining on the schedule, maybe other than Florida, that isn't winnable. And even then, I'm not totally sure. And it just depends if FSU's – you know, if they're winning all their games and they're getting momentum and figuring stuff out, that game at the end of the season is beatable. This Wake Forest team is, is really, really, really beatable. Uh, people were really gassing them up a few weeks ago, and I never really understood it. Yeah, you, know, you have to come out and you have to play a clean game. You can't let it linger. But, like, there's nothing that Wake Forest is going to do that – that you can't stop over the whole period of the game you should be able to to go up there and 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 win and if not then that's a big concern.
2: Yeah, I mean they gave up 62 points on Saturday to Louisville in a game where nobody wanted to tackle Sage Surratt receiver is a really talented dude for them. He's a guy that you can't let kind of get going. He can put points on the board by himself. Jamie Newman, I believe, hurt his shoulder in that game. I don't think we quite yet know the prognosis of that, how that's going to impact him long term. The backup
1: quarterback came up and led them. Yeah, he played well when he came in.
2: Newman, though, has been very good for them on the season. He struggled a little bit early in the game. I believe he threw an early interception. That caused some of the deficit early on in that game. Uh Wake was down quite a bit early in that game and then kind of battled back. And then it was just a uh, whoever wanted to score last type of deal in the end. Um Kendall Hilton, who's actually a former quarterback for him, now plays receiver for him, not a not talented guy. He's one of those guys you gotta keep an eye on from a trick play standpoint. The backup quarterback that's known references Sam Hartman. He went nine for fifteen for 172 and two touchdowns and relief from Newman. Played well down a stretch. Um Louisville got them on special teams early in that game. I don't know that FSU does that. FSU hasn't really used special teams to an advantage this year. So we'll see. I think Wake obviously will play much better than they did last week. I think the same can be said for FSU. To to me, it's kind of a coin toss game. If FSU's defense doesn't play well and doesn't tackle well, they're going to lose. But if the defense comes and plays at a decent level and keeps Sage Surratt in check, They have a definite shot of winning. Vegas is
1: telling you it's pretty much a a coin flip.
2: Which is what I expected before the line came out, too.
0: Okay. I think – I want to get your take on this. Six games remain. If I put the win total at three and a half, you guys taking the under or the over right now?
1: That's a good – that's a good line that you're setting
2: I would probably take the under. I think they can win four. I don't trust Mm -hmm. them to win four.
1: I'll pick video cuz I'm just an internal optimist. I'll take over. I don't think anyone on their schedule is all that good. I don't know how good Florida State just, is. Just give me your but, honest. Opinion. Uh no, I think they probably I probably I think they have a better chance to win four games than they do too. Okay. I don't think no one. I think no, wait, they win I can at go, least I can three. Go three. Yeah. Oh, oh shit. Yeah, I'll go three. Pay
2: attention. Three. You know, pay attention. Under. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely it's feel early. like they win at least three. I think they are capable of winning up to five. Mm-hmm. I think Four is a safe number. I'm just not trustworthy. Yeah.
0: All right, before we get out of here, I want to talk about a couple things that popped up on the message board, kind of reoccurring themes. Throughout the weekend after the game into Monday, there was a lot of message board posts asking us um, how long until the O-line improves. I think we kind of answered that. We Chris talked about it at length, at the things that must be done. Um, and the other question that we were getting a lot of was, can Jeff Sims come in and play next year? Can he, is he a scheme fit ability wise? I mean, all this kind of stuff. Can Jeff Sims come in and play this year,
2: next year? I don't think so. I don't think he's, I, I said it on a message before. I don't think he's of the same caliber of the guys who we've seen do that this year in college football that came in were day one starters. I think Jeff's a very talented guy, but I don't think he's been developed a whole lot on Friday nights. He has a good quarterback trainer Denny Thompson, and Danny Thompson. Then he does a good job. And Jeff's a smart kid. He's a kid that puts in the work. So I'm never gonna count him out. But if I was putting money on it, you don't want him to be your starter in year one.
0: Yeah, and I watch a lot of the film and a lot of his passes are are at or just beyond the line of scrimmage. They're turned into big plays. And he also runs the ball quite a bit. And he's a great athlete. He has all the tools. I think he's going to be a good quarterback at Florida State one day. I just don't see him or anticipate him coming in and making any type of impact his freshman year, maybe not even his second year on campus. Um, and, then the que- and then the question becomes, well, who's going to be his OC by the time he's ready to see the field? Um, those are all questions that you know we can't really answer right now, but I don't feel like Jeff Sims is the type of quarterback to come in and play right away. I think that's the importance of signing two, two every year, to be honest with you, but um, here we are. So
1: whatever year, sorry, sorry. I'm mean, being snarky. Keep, keep, keep going.
0: No, but I, and I understand why these questions are popping up right now. I think you're starting to see the, the talent level in that QB room, even though there's four quarterbacks and we talked a lot about that this off season, whether or not these guys are just bodies or arms or whatever you want to call them. Um, it doesn't look like there's going to be a huge impact made by anybody that's currently in the room. So, I think FSU is going. To, like Chris said, they're going to have to go out and find another short-term answer for next year at some of these key positions. And quarterback is probably going to be one of them again. That they got to go look for a either a transfer at a high-level a high transfer or a grad transfer that can come in and kind of stem the tide until Sims is ready.
1: And with that in mind, Josh, and I, I agree with you that that was their strategy last year, right? I mean, they wanted Justin yeah. Fields, they wanted Jalen Hurts, want, they, they, they invested Hurts. a lot of time to try to get both of those guys. But going back to what we talked about probably about 10, 15 minutes ago, you have to fix the offensive line and have like concrete plan to show that it's getting better because what graduate transfer quarterback that has good options is going to want to pick you if you're not gonna be able to protect him. Right? Like what I, that's the one thing that I keep coming back to is you have to keep fixing something that hasn't shown that it's totally fixed yet, or even really all that close to being fixed. Others. Uh, I like Dante Lucas. I think everyone likes Dante Lucas. We all see what he's going to be. If he keeps developing, I'm intrigued with what some of the younger guys like Ira Henry and and Darius Washington, Marie Smith are going to be able to do, but we haven't gotten to see them yet. Uh, until you can prove that you have a couple of fixes to that line and you're able to go out and recruit a couple more of the band-aid type of guys that you need, why is a, a plug-and-play quarterback or a difference-maker quarterback going to come play for Florida State?
0: Yeah, and that was kind of the issue last year. If you're a grad transfer quarterback at the top of the list you know one of the one of the top guys your mentality is i want to go somewhere where they just need me to take them to the next level it's it's, it's, it's the table set they just need me plug and play plug and yes. play baby and you want to be showcased for that one year for the nfl um is florida state that place it surely wasn't last off season and you know unless they do something drastic to turn it around these next six games i don't know if it's going to be either um, let's end it on a on a on a different note. I was listening to local radio here in Tampa. They were talking about the potential um of Gene Decker off leaving in the next couple of years. And it kind of hit me like, yeah, Gene, you know, he's had a good run. He's been in this game for a while. And in the long term, he's probably not gonna you know, he's gonna retire in the next two, three, four, five years, somewhere in that range. What
2: who would you guys like to see? And also who are you guys hearing will replace Gene? The answer for that question for me is one in the same. I think it's Tom blog, Tom filled in for him. I believe on Saturday when Gene had to leave Ooh. for London, Tom's been around here a long time, does really good work. Very savvy guy very good speaker on the radio. You know, he does front roll, front vote, role knolls. <laughs> at least one, of, the yeah, at least one of us could talk. Um, but he does that radio show. It's a good listen. Tom's handled TV stuff. He, he's good with working with staff and with players. I think he's just kind of a natural fit and he's kind of waited his turn. In my opinion, too. does he
0: bring that energy that Gene had? I mean,
2: I I, I you no. Know, he's different. He's different than Gene. Gene's got kind of that bubbly, Oh, kind of thing going on. And Tom's not going to have that. But you can have a really good radio announcer who's not like Gene.
1: Here's either. my idea. You have you bring in Tom Block, you bring in a consummate professional, right? You have him going with Corey, still you have those two guys up there. Add Trey Roland to the mix just oh to God. drop some F bombs in there and really freak out the older people that are listening to the radio.
0: Brought to you by Doritos.
1: Brought to you by Doritos.
0: <laughs> he bailed on Doritos, but, um, I think, all,
1: it, <laughs> it it. I think they, I think they bailed on him.
0: Yeah. There you go. All right. I was just wondering, uh, it, it's a good conversation. I wonder if they'll bring in anybody from the outside, but like Chris said, he's, he's Tom is one, you know, he's been on the sidelines for years. He, he does a lot of those shows on sun sports. And I did hear him on the radio. I didn't think he was, um, I didn't think he did a bad job.
2: It's just a different type of energy. For
0: sure. It
1: certainly is different, but like that's the issue when you're replacing a legend, right? Yeah. Especially it when it's unique as, as Gene Deckerhoff.
2: You also find a rhythm when you do it weekend, week, in, week sure. out, and Tom's not doing that right now. So yeah. I think that's also a difference.
1: For sure. Give always give someone time like to find their voice, because it, it takes a while. Like this podcast is not great, but it's markedly better than it was when we first started it. I think it's phenomenal. Nice. And we'll end it on that too. note. For Chris Knee, for Brennan
0: Sinone, in this phenomenal podcast, we are Knowles 24-7 on the bench.
1: Phenomenal.